Motion Picture Pals, where we hurl our opinions about movies at the back of your head like so many staplers. I am Cam Call. With me is Rebecca Markley. Hello. Joel Aleman. Hello. And our producer, Travis Lean. That's me. So, uh, first things first, how was everybody's chicken? Oh, it was so oh, fucking it was good. good. It was so good. I've been craving it all week now. Now, see, I'm disappointed because I found out very abruptly that panda express does not serve general so's chicken oh yeah you should have asked oh really yeah uh, they have a limited menu at the mint and so i got like oh, i see their classic orange chicken and it's in like really bad shrimp Ooh. oh no yeah, orange chicken from panda express is like kind of spiritually in the same vein as general mm-hmm. so's mm-hmm. yeah especially after watching the that documentary yeah, yeah. and yeah uh, as you might i had chicken oh. from oh sorry i had chicken from china a google yeah Ooh. i don't know where it is but a man brought it to me and i tipped him that's nice. good uh <laughs> they also had boba which is why i went oh. with them. Oh. yeah way to go we got ours yeah. from a nice. place called kung food Hell oh that's yeah. funny yeah it was actually very good and they have a they have a menu that includes like actual good chinese food so i was pretty impressed i hadn't even really paid attention when buying the stuff because i was like yeah great cheap chinese takeout and then when i went to go pick up the food from their little window they had their menu posted and i was like whoa there's a bunch of like actual dishes that i like so that's going to be a place that i probably order food from more often now i'm surprised we hadn't eaten there and gotten food there yeah before but it's not far away. I feel like when we generally go for Chinese, we'll go for dim sum. That's true. And not, you know, I guess the regular Americanized Chinese cuisine. Not that like dim sum hasn't become kind of Americanized anyway, but <laughs> I really like soup dumplings is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. The um, the Uber Eats listing on this place, it says General So's chicken is their house special chicken. It also has a disclaimer that says it's spicy, and I can tell you it was not at all spicy, so I don't know why <laughs> oh. I said that. Yeah, it usually isn't in my experience, so that's kind of weird. Uh, I should introduce yeah. the movie before we go oh, on. Yeah. Uh, the reason we're talking about our chicken and cheap Chinese food is because this week we watched The Search for General So, a documentary from 2014. You may have heard of it. It was... Uh, on Netflix for a while and promoted fairly heavily. It was uh, directed by Ian Cheney, and it's all about uh, Chinese food and culture more broadly, but specifically about Chinese food and the Americanized Chinese food we all know and love, chop suey, chow mein, and the eponymous General So. So we all agreed when we decided on this movie that we were all going to order General So's chicken and eat it while watching. We signed a blood pack. It was a really good 
good choice because yeah. I watched the beginning of the documentary just because I was like, oh, this looks really interesting. And then they're doing that photo shoot in the beginning with the chicken. And I was just like, I want to eat that so bad. Yeah, with so, that really overbearing lady, like spritzing it with food or mm-hmm. not food with water. So it looks all like <laughs> right. lazy and delicious. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. It was it was good. Did look pretty good. Well, were you saying that you had trouble finding the General Tso's chicken? Yeah, like the the main Chinese food place I go to actually doesn't serve any General Tso's, which was really surprising, just given like the information from this film. And then any other place that I knew of that served General Tso's, I don't really trust their their health scores. So oh. understandable. I mean, that's kind of the classic uh, trope racist or otherwise about Chinese food places in the United States, mm-hmm. which uh, we will definitely get into racist tropes on oh, this episode. Oh, so, yeah. you know, be forewarned. Uh, mm-hmm. So I guess that kind of leads into my next little question I've got here was, did you eat General So's chicken and or just other kind of cheap Americanized Chinese food growing up? Because I know I did, but I'm curious to hear about the rest of you. Yeah, I think my go-to has always been orange chicken. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Um, I I know I've ordered General Tso's before. I just, like, I didn't have a clear picture of what it was until it was in front of me and the documentary was in front of me. And now I sort of know it to be this sweet, savory dish with, like, chilies, I guess. Yeah. That was my understanding anyway. Yeah, very... I couldn't have defined that for you before. <laughs> very similar yeah. to orange chicken. It's pretty much the same yeah. flavor without, like, any orange peel and, like, maybe a little more umami going on. But overall, pretty similar. Um, I didn't eat a lot of Americanized Chinese food growing up. Probably because my mom is from Singapore and she is ethnically Chinese. So we ate a lot of her favorite sort of like um, Southeast Asian fusion and influenced Chinese food. Um, And then we did we did go out to eat at like P.F. Chang's and and stuff like that. Um, So like I did. I didn't. I did know about Americanized Chinese food and like dumplings and and various types of like, you know, Chang's chicken or whatever it's called. (laughs) Um, I did eat a lot of General Tso's in high school because there was a really great um, lunch special at the Safeway near Hanford High School where I went to school and my like best friend and I, we would always go and we would just like share this like huge plate of General Tso's and like this nasty ass fried rice. And um, yeah, so I, I guess like in, in, in some cases, I, I guess I did eat a lot of General Tso's. You know, we went there like at least like once or twice a week. Um, but as far as like it being a staple of my childhood, it was much more like my mom's home cooking of Chinese food that I got to experience. Yeah, strange enough, growing up, it was some what of a tradition that every Sunday after we would get out from church, we would either get KFC or some form of Chinese food. Um, I remember when I was really small, it was mostly KFC. And then as I got older, uh, I just remember more memories of going to the mall and going to like noodle zone to get their (laughs) like three piece dish Mm -hmm. and then like seeking them out after they moved out of the mall. 
and uh i just always had like a lot of beef mushrooms and vegetables etc which wasn't really that much of a chinese food it was just kind of like ooh, there's noodles with these extra ingredients <laughs> right but yeah and then going into university i survived the most of my freshman year off of like the one panda express we had in our student union building because other than panda express it was like a pizza pipeline and a subway and you can only have so much of those two before you get fed up with it oh yeah and like panda express am i right folks oh yeah oh yeah can just eat so much panda express (laughs) (laughs) and like rebecca you mentioning the safeway down the street from Hanford High, I'm laughing <laughs> so much because going to WSU Tri-Cities this year, I went to that exact same Safeway yep. and probably got like the same special. Yeah, it was so uncountable cheap. Times. I don't know why, but it was so, so cheap and you got so much food and I always had like leftovers. I don't know. I'm mean, probably like gross to like leave it in my car for a couple of hours, but I was like a dumb teenager, right? And then I'd always have <laughs> leftovers right before dance practice and it was perfect. <laughs> yeah yeah so i ate a lot of cheap chinese food growing up uh specifically general so's though it's a little different so i had been going to this chinese place like as long as i can remember uh down the street from where my dad used to live in richland at a place called moon palace uh there i would pretty much always get like chow mein or something to that uh, effect. I didn't really start getting general sews until I started uh, in the summers visiting my family in San Antonio, Texas, where they owned a strip mall and they were just kind of like the landlords of the strip mall. Boo. Yeah, that's right. Uh, and so, you know, I'd be there with my cousins and we would be like, well, we got to go eat lunch. And then Thinking back on this, it's a little weird because like all the restaurant owners had to know it's like, oh, it's the fucking landlord's like stupid family coming in for lunch. We got to serve them and be nice to them. Uh, But I had fond memories of it because I was way too young to really understand that dynamic. Uh, To understand the evil of landlords. Yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah, absolutely not. Right. Uh, And so we would go to a Chinese place that was across the, the big parking lot of the strip mall. And we would get it there. It was General Sow's at that place, which they kind of got into in the documentary that it's General So is usually the way that it's spelled. But it's like Joe and Sow and Tao and all kinds of other wacky spellings. Uh, pretty much it seemed based on region and based on how easy it would be for white Americans to pronounce it. But yeah, I have very fond memories of eating General So's. It was always really good. I thought it was some of the better food available in the strip mall seeing this sort of like american chinese food tradition that like apparently is quite i guess prevalent for like a lot of people i thought that was i don't know i like i never actually like realized that um that like people like their their general so's so much i mean it's it's delicious and tasty, of course, but like, I guess having grown up with just a myriad of other kinds of, of, I don't know, stir fries and, and, and just like noodle vegetable dishes of like, you know, just like a huge, huge, huge variety. Um, I just think it's kind of funny that there's these like main staples that like, I guess like everybody knows 
And um, it's kind of a pity that they don't get to experience some of the other just delicious things that like Chinese food incorporates. Yeah, definitely. I mean, oh, well, it's like you were saying it was this Sunday tradition for your family. And that sort of tradition is just way more common than I think a lot of people realize. I think that's probably falling by the wayside now, if I had to guess. But I mean, like I said, for me, it was absolutely a tradition. Like we weren't going, you know, on a set day every week or anything, but it was still like one of the places we would go to eat that wasn't, you know, cooking food at our house. And I feel like there's such a like... I think Chinese takeout is such a staple in like American media culture too. Like, oh, you know, we're going to get like everyone knows just like the the cheap takeout containers and like the fortune cookies and like the plastic, you know, utensils. And like, I feel like that's just a thing that you see in TV shows and movies and, and all of this stuff. And like, I guess I just didn't. I thought that was just sort of like a characterization. Like it was just sort of like a, a thing because it was I don't know the thing that people did, but I didn't actually realize it was sort of based in any kind of reality. Yeah, it was funny because when they showed the takeout boxes, you know, the you know, the ones, the Chinese takeout boxes with the white yeah, boxes. Fridge, yeah. yeah, with the, the some picture on the side that say thank you in that really weird font. <laughs> we were yeah. we had all of our takeout containers like spread out on our coffee table while we were watching the movie and we were it, we they were exactly the same, except the ones on the tv had like a pagoda and ours i think had a fish it was them. like a it was like oh, a, mine has boat. a pagoda it was a boat oh it was a boat that's Our right usual ones have a, have a fish on them mm-hmm. yep but yeah we all know exactly what that looks like and like the red mm-hmm. chopsticks with the instructions on one how to separate and two how to use them <laughs> on use the them? red paper <laughs> yes yeah, I, I didn't so, even like, know fortune of... cookies weren't from China. Oh, really? My mom. Yeah, I didn't know that. I just assumed. Because I loved fortune cookies. It was like one of my like favorite parts of going out to like eat. When it, when we, I guess we would go to a just sort of like a pan-Asian restaurant that my mom really liked because she loved bibimbap and they had bibimbap. And I guess it's sort of Korean, but ended up being pretty much pan-Asian and would serve fortune cookies there and she would always like shame me and be like oh you know rebecca these aren't actually chinese these are american and i'd just be like yeah yeah yeah, whatever give me the the i don't know the weird sweet cookie the wafer yeah give me (laughs) the the wafer (laughs) give me the egg (laughs) uh yeah i thought it was really funny when they were showing chinese people uh, fortune cookies and they were like what the fuck is this? is this made out of eggs <laughs> uh, I thought the most wholesome thing too was that like when the Chinese man actually does take his first bite of a fortune cookie you see him kind of like pull out of his mouth the fortune he's like what the fuck is this yeah, it's like his eyes get big and he realizes there's paper in his mouth <laughs> <laughs> yes um, yeah yeah uh, I thought the uniformity of Chinese takeout was very interesting because it's one of those things like obviously the containers are the same and fortune cookies exist. But I was under the impression that it was more of a West Coast phenomenon just because, I mean, the West Coast is kind of where a lot of Chinese immigrants came historically and kind of still are. Uh, And then what I found really fascinating was all of the uh, like the Chinese uh, like business associations that were helping people who had just kind of arrived here get jobs and helping like entrepreneurial minded immigrants to open restaurants 
And like that accounted for a lot of the uniformity. And it's like, well, here's this model that we know people like and you can kind of do it anywhere. And you've got guaranteed like a little bit of business. And it's, you know, we have all these methods to keep our costs down. And that's kind of how this whole like parallel food culture of American Chinese food has just existed in America since like 1900 and even earlier. I thought it was so fascinating. The guy who had all of the menus and he was just Mm -hmm. talking about like the differences of Chinese food and like what different marks on the menus meant. I just wanted to like hang out with that guy and talk to him about Chinese food menus for like hours because it's just like such a weird specific hobby. But it's like it is very interesting, I thought anyways. Yeah. Did you want to talk about, uh, before we go anymore, do you want to talk about, like, did we like the film or not? Because I can tell you I liked the film, but I did have a stipulation in regards to that guy, actually, uh-huh. that you mentioned. <laughs> I I was hoping that this film would focus more on a character or some characters. Mm-hmm. And I really thought that guy was going to be the main character. He should have been. Like, I thought we were going to follow him. Yeah, I thought he was searching. I thought it turns out the filmmakers, the people behind the camera, are the ones who are searching for General So. But just from the title and from him being placed at the beginning of the film, I thought we were going to follow his journey. Mm -hmm. And I was a little disappointed that we didn't because he was so quirky. (laughs) Yeah, Mm -hmm. just this like really enthusiastic, eccentric, eccentric Jewish man who loves Chinese food. Yeah, and who was completely convinced that he was going to be robbed because someone was slipping a leaflet in his door. (laughs) I just thought that was so funny because it happens to me all the time, and I've never once thought that someone was going to rob me, so I don't know. I think he moved to New York in like a really period of like a lot of crime, so maybe maybe that's what it was about. But uh, yeah, I, I really enjoyed the movie too. I found it entertaining. I liked a lot of the characters. Yeah, I guess I kind of agree with you. I wish there would have been like a main character in more and like a more concrete sense. Like there's kind of there's the guy who it's revealed later is like the fourth grandson or whatever of the actual general. So and he's like mm-hmm. in the movie a lot talking about the culture of like Hunan province and stuff. But uh, yeah, it was really eye opening to figure out that General So was an actual person. Yeah, I definitely just thought it was a made up dude, like mm-hmm. just a name that was like, oh, TSO, that's an exotic sounding name that Americans right. will pay money to eat his chicken. Like, I was very convinced that General So was just some mythological figure that like Chinese Americans made up to sell more to Americans, which <laughs> like Americans would totally buy it. Yeah, like, definitely. I have no questions about it. <laughs> yeah, um, I also thought it was funny. Oh, shoot. Never mind. I completely forgot what I was going to say. How embarrassing. Um, wow. Maybe it'll come back to me. Yeah, um, I was just going to oh, say. We, like, we just wanted to know if you liked the film or not. Oh, I did. <laughs> I really liked it. Okay. It made me have a lot of feelings, though. Um, just sort of about, like, my own kind of, like, internalized racism growing up. Um, and just, like, me kind of, like, resenting some of the decisions that my mom made about, like, Americanizing us. Or me and my brother specifically. Um, But, you know, like that really doesn't have anything to do with the film, except that it did really kind of like evoke those feelings in me. And I I was really impressed with like how they did kind of explicitly address 
racism and like <laughs> complex racial dynamics and and kind of like the the whole trope of like oh the single chinese family that lives in a town and owns and operates the chinese restaurant um, because i think that's also like a at a cultural American phenomenon that like we hear about in media. Um, and I just thought that was quite interesting that I had kind of like a basis in reality again, just with the whole recent, you know, like the, the, the Chinese business association sending um, people out to different areas to like found and, and start these restaurants to like not compete with each other. Yeah. That level of organization is just like pretty, impressive i think um and i like that there was sort of this through line of uh chinese american food of just like well we have you know these we have big walks and like the big uh stove that like shoots a flame out of a hole and like these chinese cooking techniques and utensils and we're just going to use these to create food that americans would like and we're gonna like tweak our recipes to make things sweeter and like incorporate more diverse like flavors and like mixed flavors in a single dish in order to sell it to Americans. I thought that was just like a really fascinating story of just kind of like the inventiveness that it took and I frankly still takes to like be an immigrant to this country. Uh, so speaking of immigration, let's do race science. Let's talk about our own ethnic backgrounds. <laughs> And uh, I want to basically I want to see how other people kind of felt about the racism and the story of, you know, immigration and uh, like the Chinese Exclusion Act and all that kind of stuff, because we are all to varying degrees, white and non-white. So, uh, Rebecca, you mentioned that your mom is from Singapore. Yeah. So I am half white and I guess half Chinese ethnically, but um, I guess my mom like culturally is from Singapore. And, you know, there's also kind of like complex racial dynamics with that in and of itself. But, um, you know, I guess not for American ears, I suppose. <laughs> Did you want me to continue or, oh, no, or are we waiting for somebody waiting else to for go? Someone to go next. Oh, yeah. Uh, my mom is from the Philippines, so I am half Filipino. Um, I've had a lot of Filipino food and I do wish that this documentary went a, like mo a lot more in depth on things like the Chinese Exclusion Act. I feel like it, it addressed these topics on a very surface level uh, uh, approach. And that was kind of my, that was like, that's one of my many critiques of the film. Like, again, I liked the film a lot. There's just a lot of things that I, that I wish it had looked at a little closer yes yeah it was definitely geared toward a mass audience like uh yeah. so i i for example right i knew about the chinese exclusion act and sort of a lot of the like racist stuff that went on during the gold rush and building the transcontinental railroad and all that uh and so this movie is more geared towards people who have like maybe heard about that but don't really know what it was about uh, so I'm kind of in the same boat. I wish they would have gotten into like the specific cultural impacts that that had. But uh, before we get into that, Hoel. What yeah, I no, I was I was going to pop off of that saying oh, that uh, I actually didn't know much about the um, 
the Exclusion Act, uh, I didn't really learn about it much in grade school. I did learn about how like uh, the Chinese were demonized during the, the gold rush and building of the railroad. But aside from that, nothing really in terms of like actual law that made it legal to discriminate against people um, to provide background. Uh, I Both my parents come from Mexico. And so um, I can relate a lot where uh, Chinese people were really discriminated against for working hard and just trying to make make a living where you know latinos nowadays were very much the scapegoats and yes mm-hmm. have been for a long time for oh we should have like more tight borders because ridiculous racist reasons that are very invalid yeah yeah i was kind of i had that thought watching the movie and i'm, I'm glad you said that because i was thinking like a lot of these uh tropes and sort of the way they're characterizing Chinese people in like, you know, the around the turn of the century and the uh, early 20th century, it did feel a lot like what we hear about a lot of like Latino immigrants today. Uh, Just a lot of this stuff about like taking jobs and competing with like white workers. I mean, that is basically exactly what we hear. And then just kind of this weird desire that white people have for other cultures to assimilate into American culture, which real quick fucking sucks. And like Chinese American food wouldn't be Mm -hmm. so popular if American culture was so great, would it? So, you know, yeah, (laughs) think about that. Yeah, Uh, It was just so wild hearing about how like the exclusion act really pushed a lot of Chinese Americans to make these restaurants as a result of them just not being able to get employment anywhere else. Yeah, I thought that was really interesting. Um, I feel like I wish, you know, I kind of agree with with Travis that like they had explored more of like the the nuances of race and maybe explored a little bit about like the the model minority myth. But I think is pretty obvious, at least from like my my interpretation of the documentary, like this is kind of like where it came from, because I feel like we have a lot of kind of almost like insular Chinese communities that kind of like have stayed separate and haven't done a lot of, of major integration with other populations. You know, you have like Chinatown and you have these like very like clear places um, within, you know, larger communities. Right. And, you know, they, they have their own businesses that support each other and, and then also, creating this this thing that so many americans love i feel like i can see where a lot of like the whole like model minority myth comes from where like you have these like oh chinese people now who are like oh they did everything right like they're the good race they're the race that we can now kind of like look to to be like oh this is what all you other brown people should have done yes yes that's uh you know you are the good ones is really the vibe that is that i kind of got when a lot of the white people in the movie and and I should say like the white people they had like eating in these small town Chinese places, like they seemed nice enough. I'm not trying to be like, Oh, these like fucking idiots are being racist. They, they were fine in the movie. Uh, however, the sort of, Oh, the general sentiment towards, uh, generally East Asian. And I would say also South Asian immigrants, uh, these days is like, these are the good ones, right? They're coming here. They're not, doing stuff that really competes with what we see as like white jobs and white culture. They're here to sort of like serve their tasty food to like us nincompoops who can just like 
overcook roasts and that's about it. <laughs> They're here to do our nails, give yes. us facials, things like that. Yeah. Right. And you're not the bad ones, which it bears mentioning. Uh, basically in America is black people, right? Like that is the worst you can be is sort of like American culture is concerned. And so it's like, oh, you know, we're seeing Chinese people as like coming here and like kind of minding their own business and, you know, working hard and doing what's best for themselves. And that's like kind of the opposite of how black people are characterized in like this larger white supremacist culture that we live in. Um, I was going to talk about this later, but I guess this now is a good a time as any. Uh, I thought all of this stuff about like the fusion foods and sort of how other uh, minority communities kind of vibed with Chinese immigrants was really interesting. Um, I know there's a lot of stuff about uh, about like Chinese uh, shop owners kind of being the only people that would operate stores that would serve black people in the South, for example. There's a lot of things like that. And I was getting that impression with like, you know, there's this sequence kind of laid in the movie about like, oh, there's this Mexican Chinese fusion restaurant and like the Hispanic Chinese uh, market in this like little city store, uh, like an Indian Chinese fusion place. I think there was like an African or Caribbean fusion place as well, kind of featured that all had their own little takes on American Chinese American food. Plus this other, generally speaking, more recently arrived group of immigrants, which I just, I don't know. I think that's real interesting how like immigrant communities kind of have to come together in their own weird way while not necessarily assimilating to the larger culture. Yeah, no, like I definitely think it would be really cool to look more in depth at, at just really like how this food culture is modern day, because I know that at the very least for the current generation, a lot of the children of first generation immigrants really get pushed towards like, hey, go to university, like go see the world and things such as that. And that leads to more like mingling between these different cultures. And you see the sprouting of this new fusion food like there's this really good barbecue place off like the bypass that's that sells like barbecue and mexican food <laughs> but it's not tex-mex and there's just so much more of that popping up as you see these generations like grow up and get into food business because hey they grew up from let's say a primary latino community but they just really love chinese food and they have a friend that's just like up for making a new business of this new fusion food. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I also realized I forgot to mention, uh, my dad is also white and my mom immigrated here from, uh, Southern India. Uh, so just so we're all kind of aware of how we're coming at this. And that actually is a great transition to kind of another thing I wanted to talk about, which is th these concepts of like purity and authenticity because there's a lot of uh, scenes in this movie where they will talk to Chinese people and, you know, chefs and restaurateurs in China, asking them, like, hey, have you heard of this dish, General So's? Uh, like, what do you think about it? Here's a picture, all this stuff. And, uh, you know, a lot of the people were like, oh, this is, you know, just Chinese food in name only and it's not real and all these things. So I know I have a lot of opinions on, like, what counts as, like, authentically a piece of 
culture or heritage, but uh, I'm wondering if anybody else kind of had reactions to those scenes. I mean, I thought it was a little bit gatekeepy um, of just like, oh, maybe you're like not a real Chinese person because you don't have you don't eat the right kind of Chinese food or make the right or make the right kind of Chinese food. And so you're kind of like losing that. You're sort of like falling into, I guess, you know, albeit just maybe kind of like imperialist um, kind of like tendencies or like perspectives if you are like a Chinese person and you like see American imperialism as a problem, right? Um, but again, I like grew up in a mixed household and my mom is Chinese, but she grew up in Singapore where there is a lot of sort of like fusion of Southeast Asian cultures and dishes and all kinds of stuff. Um, and so that was like, that really wasn't like a, a thing that I really was ever concerned about, except, you know, the whole like Rebecca, you know, uh, fortune cookies <laughs> are not actually Chinese, you know, but like, that's, that's like, whatever. I, I think she was kind of like joking because I love them so much and she was trying to tease me a little bit, but, um, I don't know. I feel like food is a thing that like is, is culturally used to like share and commune with and, and like, it's a comfort, it's like safety, it's nourishment. And I don't particularly like how that is so gate, how that becomes like gatekeepy, you know? And like, obviously that's like maybe problematic. I know there was like this big ordeal where like this woman from Portland, like (laughs) literally like stole like recipes from like Mexican restaurants in Mexico and then like came back and tried to open up like a a pop-up here in Portland and like advertised and talked about how she just like stole these like family recipes from these people. (laughs) It was was so funny. It It was like uh it was like this travel blog basically about like how she went to on this like amazing vacation to Mexico and ate all this good food and was like asking people like how they like made this stuff taste so good and then she's like so I brought it here and like literally oh talks about how she like peeked into like the, the kitchen windows and was like taking notes and was like being like really fucking creepy and weird about it and she was just like blogging about how like this made her like quirky and interesting and blah 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 and like yeah people like shut her the fuck down here <laughs> she was really mad about it she was really really butthurt about it and so like obviously like don't steal culture but i think <laughs> when it comes to food i think the line between you know, I guess communing and cultural appropriation is a little bit blurrier than, let's say, just like, I don't know, wearing spiritual clothing as a prop. <laughs> right. But anyway, someone else can talk. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, I agree that it's so gatekeepy uh, the way that people treat their food. Um, I personally thought I was very Latino compared to my friends uh, back in like grade school and then going off to uni where. I met a lot of other Latino friends who were way closer to the culture than I was and hearing them like critique my food. And uh, there's like a night that's always going to stick in my, in my mind forever where I tried to make like some of my mom's, she calls them empanadas. My friends will not call them empanadas, but I had no idea how to like make homemade tortillas. And I ended up FaceTiming my mom with like all of my roommates laughing at me as it was going down and um 
at the end of it they're like what is this this isn't a real mexican food like what are you what are you doing here it's like well screw you like this is how my mom made it and so it's mexican food because i say it is yeah yeah definitely uh i have kind of similar experiences not personally with any food i've made because i kind of like i actually think i learned to um, have these disclaimers when I do cook food for other uh, specifically like Indian or like Pakistani or like Middle Eastern Iranian people uh, that like the food that I make is I am no under no pretense that it is authentic in any way. But the reason I do that is because I know my mom uh, didn't really have uh, didn't really have access to a lot of the ingredients that are important to make what is considered authentic Indian food. Uh, and her family would kind of like be up her ass about like, oh, this isn't authentic. And uh, my dad had in some ways, right, he's arriving at these opinions in like not necessarily woke ways. But I think the conclusion is correct that it's like it doesn't matter if something is authentic, what matters is that like you're the people you love enjoy eating it. Mm -hmm. Right. And like, that's really my perspective on food, uh, largely just across the board is like the point of food is not to be authentic necessarily. Right. But obviously this isn't true. if you're cooking as like part of a, a contest or a competition or like, or like upholding a like a cultural t tradition with like cooking and like cooking in this like specifically trained way to like perpetuate these like cultural techniques you know like absolutely yes. you know if you're like formally trained like that is an important thing and like please continue doing that but like in in the home right yeah mm. in the home and especially hoel like in the situation you're talking <laughs> about where you're just cooking for your friends like i understand the impulse of being like these aren't empanadas but like also fuck you if you say these things to your friends like it doesn't matter. Right. Just eat the food. Just enjoy it and like yeah. be happy somebody cooked for you. Uh, and I think like food is one of those things that like it literally does need to be an extreme example, like going to Mexico and like surreptitiously taking notes by looking into kitchens and bringing that shit back to Portland is about the bar that you need to clear for food to kind of get into the realm of appropriation. I think otherwise, especially if you just eat some good food, right? I like Japanese food a lot, just as an example. And so, like, I just read on the Internet about, like, how to make Japanese food because I like to eat it and I want to know how to make it. Right. And so I think if you're doing things like that, that's obviously not appropriation. right? You're just doing mm -hmm. your thing. Uh, and it's also not that hard. And I would say even quite enjoyable to do those things and like kind of dialing in those techniques and recipes to make food taste the way you want to. Uh, all this is to say I was a little uh, shocked and a little disappointed at how kind of mean a lot of the Chinese chefs were being about the food. Like one, because of all the stuff we've just kind of been talking about, about how like authenticity is kind of a canard and like not a really like, valid criticism of food in general but also because 
Chinese food, especially this like General So's style, you know, like cheap American Chinese food is such a story about like tenacity and resilience in the face of like incredible discrimination and racism. Absolutely. And to, to dismiss it by saying like, ah, this isn't authentic. This isn't Chinese is I think really doing a disservice to mm-hmm. the story of Chinese immigrants in the United States. Like I, to me, right. That is something that I think especially Chinese immigrants, but sort of like Chinese culture as a whole should be really proud of because it's, I think a very inspiring thing that has happened definitely and just sort of like the dismissing of like oh these flavors like shouldn't be combined together or like like, it's too sweet right right? like no it's fucking delicious like why you know and and i guess i don't know maybe um the like the chef who did invent general so's chicken like you know he does come from like a pretty kind of like rigorous like i guess trained background as a chef as like a Chinese chef. So like may, I can maybe like see him being like grumble, grumble, grumble. You know, I'm going to be a pretentious dickwad about it. But I don't know. I still think that like that's definitely a, a complete mischaracterization of what I found to be like a really intense story of resilience and and the just like, yeah, like what Cam was saying, like the tenacity and like how well i guess chinese immigrants have adapted to a very hostile environment yeah adapting versus assimilating i think Mm -hmm. was also an important takeaway from that but like what i i mean i didn't have any concept of of authenticity in my household like i like my mom would sometimes go to the asian market to get ingredients and stuff and she would cook filipino food but there was never any conversations about like, is it real Filipino food? <laughs> right. I don't know. Which, but it's like the the she- the Chinese chefs in that documentary, it's like, what are you referring to? Is there like a tome of like, is there like an ancient tome that says you have to put like this much seasoning on the chicken for it to be this authentic, <laughs> right. authentic dish? Because it's like we have language that evolves over time and we have food that evolves over time so what are we basing authenticity of which is why like i agree that authenticity is just such a bullshit concept and it reminds me of like growing up as a mixed race person and the idea of not fitting in anywhere in this world where people are so concerned about like their bloodlines and their purity and like where they came from and all that stuff but it's like people fuck each other so like (laughs) people of different races fuck each other races aren't real (laughs) everything is just like one big pot and for people to like it's just it all comes down to like ranking people because people want to do that for some reason people Mm want to just rank people and create hierarchies of people food becomes people have been cooking food forever people like when people lived in caves and they would just i don't know hunt a giant chicken or something and like (laughs) cook it so are you if everything isn't that giant chicken is it then inauthentic i don't know yeah right were there like cavemen who like the first caveman who roasted a slab of mammoth meat and then like his neighbor roasted it like differently like stuck a different type of stick through it and put it on a fire and like were there conversations about like fag not make real mammoth? I don't like probably <laughs> seems that right. way. It's not an authentic mammoth. <laughs> if we were to bring like a caveman to modern day, they wouldn't be amazed by technology. They'd get upset at us for how un- unauthentic our food is. About, yeah, they're like, what the fuck is this? Like these plants don't even exist when I'm. Been in the time I'm from, you people are like not eating real food. 
Yeah, <laughs> like I'm, I'm glad you kind of got into the whole uh, multiracial experience there, Travis. That's kind of what I was getting at with like, let's do race science and mm-hmm. talk about like yeah. what percentage of what uh, ethnicity we are, right? Because like I'm so used to saying, oh, I'm half Indian, but just like, uh, what right. the fuck does that mean? Like my mom, I've actually stopped saying that, right? I've been saying my mom came here from, you know, Chennai or Madras at the time, uh, India. And like that means the same thing effectively, but doesn't like split me into fractions in a way that is like not useful. Uh, and this whole idea of authenticity, right, is like such, I think, a, a common experience for mixed race people is like, oh, you know, you're not really Asian. You're not really Indian. That's right. Like, I don't know what I would need to do to be really Indian. I mean, I do. And what I would need to do is like have Indian parents. Right. But then like <laughs> the problem is that's such an Americanized way of thinking about race, because in India, right, you have so many different ethnic groups and people are there's also like a bunch of racism there as well. And it's like it's like the same thing for a lot of like East Asian people. It's you know, there's all these issues with colorism and like what uh, like how dark your skin is and what ethnic group your parents are from. And so this is it. I'm taking a stand. Racism is bad and you should all stop it. <laughs> I, I'm glad we came to that. Conclusion. Yeah, all, yeah. You heard it here first, folks. Yeah. They're, they're kind well, of. Yeah. Oh, sorry, Travis. Oh, uh, well, no, I just I mean to say that, like, culture evolves over time. So the idea mm-hmm. of authenticity implies that there is some sort of cultural origin point that seems like it would just be impossible to trace back to and what is what the fuck is the point of doing that anyway right. yeah it's it seems yeah. pretty pretty silly i did want to sort of address as like sort of mixed race people and kind of like having to assert aspects of our identity um which i think is a very different thing um depending on how you pass and all that kind of stuff so like yeah it, it does require a lot of nuance but i know i've talked a lot about just like having uh, Lunar New Year celebrations with my white friends. Um, and I did one uh, last year at my co working space. And there were a whole bunch of us, like mixed Asian white folks, who were all so excited to do this with like other people who had kind of like this weird mixed Americanized experience of a Lunar New Year celebration. And we all brought our favorite dishes that we like spent hours making. And it was so fun because we all had different, you know, we all had different like dumpling folding techniques. So we'd like learn from like our moms and our grandmas and like some of them, which just like had never actually been taught by anybody. Um, and they were just like, oh, I'm really excited to learn how to because like my mom never because like, you know, like she was maybe from just like grew up in America and like had never really done this. And so it was a kind of an interesting way to sort of come together around a um, kind of like a, a traditional holiday, but be able to bring our um, different takes on this very like large and nebulous cultural food tradition. And I guess the second thing that I also wanted to talk about um, is that like, I guess this does kind of warrant as, as we are kind of saying authenticity and in, in food doesn't really exist. But I, I guess I do want to like put a disclaimer on that, like, colo- not colonialism, I guess colonialism. Yes. Colonialism <laughs> and imperialism has impacted how we view and understand 
cultural food, right? Because if we look at like tea in England, like where did tea come from? India, right? That's right. And it became popularized because of colonialism. It was sort of adopted as like a cultural identity for the English when and, and that had really like you can't grow in fucking England, right? Or like tea can't. And um, I don't know. I just feel you like you can't that, grow anything in England. <laughs> nope. Yeah, right. You can just, no food. You some get the potatoes. Sheep, I guess that's in Ireland, but that didn't even come from Ireland either. Potatoes came from like Latin America, which is most also, things are just a lie. Which is, is what I've learned. Nothing's really, really interesting too, right? Anyway. Colonialism does impact food, and that is a thing that we should just like keep in our back pocket um, as we as we do kind of get to partake in in tasty, tasty food, because like I'm sure at some point, you know, brown people did suffer at the hands of white people because of tasty things like I think, spices. I think you're probably right. At some point that did happen. I, I couldn't I couldn't <laughs> tell you exactly when or how, but I think you're correct. OK, cool. Uh, all right. Let's take a break because I'm out of water and I'm getting thirsty. Okay. <laughs> I got a glass of water and I'm feeling much better. Uh, I would like to talk now about those scenes that kind of happened that we alluded to a little bit already about uh, the Jewish uh, Chinese food sort of uh, love and kinship that they talk about in the movie, right? So we said there's uh, this uh, menu collector who we all loved and wished was kind of the main character of the film. Uh, He talks about, you know, growing up Jewish, uh, eating Chinese food all the time. There are several other just sort of like food and cultural historians uh, who are doing their little uh, cutaway interviews about Chinese food, many of whom are like these Jewish men who uh, they have all of these like funny stories about eating Chinese food on Christmas because it was like just Jews and Chinese out because like everybody else is not working because they're Christians or they're observing the holiday. And then uh, this one guy said, like, you know, Jews have been around, like, culturally speaking, for like 5,500 years and like Chinese culture has been around for like 4,000 years. And so there's like this joke that Jews kind of say that, like, Jews have had to do without Chinese food for 1,500 years, which I thought was very funny. Um, And so, like... Yeah, this also kind of gets into what I was talking about with all of the like Indian and Mexican and like insert, you know, immigrant group here and Chinese fusion restaurants of like how sort of interesting it is that like immigrants specifically in America and like I'm sure this happens in other countries, but I I just don't have the experience to like definitively say so that uh, you kind of do have to stick together in your own ways, despite sort of the the differences and like animus in certain cases that does exist between these groups is like ultimately you are still sort of othered in this way where like you have to participate in a subculture essentially and so in some ways it looks like this weird like parallel chinese american food culture 
And in other ways, it manifests as like these fusion restaurants. So uh, I have not personally had any of these fusion foods, but I'd really like to try them. They all sounded really good in the movie. I was really excited about like the Chinese like gumbo. Oh, that's right. Like that. There yeah. was also there was also a, a I think a restaurant owner in the in the in New Orleans yeah. yeah in New Orleans and I thought it was so funny because he had a like he had a very clear like Southern accent when he was speaking English that was also sort of influenced by his like Chinese accent and I just thought that like combination was just so delightful to just like hear him talk in this kind of. This, I don't know, I guess this almost like dialect or this this accent that would only exist in America. And it (laughs) just made me it just made me feel like, oh, wow, like this person is here and they're like thriving. And I don't know, it just made me really happy. But um, (laughs) yeah, yeah. I'm going to start crying and explaining to Chinese people that, you know, we're all one. And that's beautiful. <laughs> yes, like definitely. Like the guy in American Factory. Uh, yeah, the, I like that too. Uh, I experience that with Indian people more specifically, like especially a lot of my family that still lives in India um, is like, right, they're speaking English with obviously an Indian accent, but also like there's a British accent in there as well, because that's like who they would have like learned English from and kind of like the cultural milieu of like English in India would have basically come from British rule and occupation. Uh, But it's also it's just funny when it's like this deep South accent that we basically uh, that we basically associate with white Americans or like very or like black Americans. That's true, I guess. But like specifically, like very like unambiguously, extremely American part of culture. And there's like this Chinese guy who clearly like picked up a lot of his English while living in new Orleans and has like this f- fun, like Cajun accent to his Chinese accent. Uh, Travis, you sound like you were going to say something. No. Oh, okay. <laughs> I don't know when that would have been. <laughs> that was, it was a while ago. We got on a big tangent about uh, accents. I think it was after I was talking about fusion foods, but uh, uh, I was just agreeing that fusion oh. foods seemed neat. And there's a bubble tea place here that also sells like tacos. So oh, who knows? Nice. Uh, yeah. I also thought like the concept of Indian Chinese fusion is it kind of funny because if I had to guess, I would say this is probably Punjabi Chinese fusion, right? Like India and China for that matter are enormous countries with gigantic populations and tons of different like cultural and ethnic groups and food cultures that are incredibly complex within each of those. Uh, and so like that in and the concept of like Indian Chinese fusion is just a kind of a, a funny concept. And I'm sure a lot of if you showed the food to anyone in India or China, uh, they would be a little confused by it and like probably confused by what you mean about Indian food and Chinese food, like capital I, capital C, uh, in the way that a lot of us are kind of confused about capital A American food, because like, what does that really mean? And I think a lot of people here can sort of identify foods from regions, 
right? There's obviously the Deep South has a very rich uh, food culture, like New England has like a lot of stuff revolving around seafood, for example, Uh, the West Coast um, as well. And I would say a little bit more of like the Mountain West has this like, you know, chicken fried steak kind of like down home food culture but like what exactly do we mean by american food like that's obviously a topic of debate and i also think it's funny because right india and china share a border so like indian and chinese fusion food already kind of exists in a very real sense uh but it also gets into this uh this thing that that kind of occurred to me uh when rebecca was talking about tea in england and like tea coming from India or China, right? Depending on who you ask and uh, kind of this concept of where did food come from? Like what nation state invented this food when we talked about this, the giant chicken. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And like the very concept of a nation state has only been around for like 250, like 300 ish years. Um, And so, like, it's just kind of a goofy thing to, like, get into. I know there's, like, a lot of, like, Slavic foods. There's, like, a hot debate about whether it was invented in, like, Russia or Poland. Oh, when, yeah. Like, and, like, the same really goes for, you know, China and India and, like, a lot of these places that are sort of, like, these geopolitical superpowers that share borders. It's, like, the people, like... <laughs> Their cultural identity came from, like, the fucking valley that they lived in. Mm-hmm. And, like, their microclimate and, like, whatever breeds of, like, cows and goats and shit that they had there. And they had way more in common with, like, people, like, you know, four to five villages away than they would with, like, somebody who's technically within the same nation, right? For example, in China, right, if you have somebody, like on the coast versus somebody who's like way up in the mountains in Western China. Right. For basically all of human history, these people would have been like, no, we have like nothing in common with them. Um, and that we kind of like create this concept of like, Oh, they're your Chinese. This is Chinese culture when cultures were really a lot more localized. And that kind of gets back to authenticity, not being real exactly, at least the way that it's talked about. I am curious, though, like, what does everybody think American food is? I don't know after this documentary. Casseroles. Casseroles? (laughs) It all comes back to casseroles. I thought you said acerole at first, and I was like, I mean, that's also funny, too. (laughs) I thought you said assholes. I just don't know, like, like, I don't think I ever literally thought that Chinese food was representative of what people who live in china eat mm-hmm. right, right but right. now to like an even greater degree i'm just questioning everything that i think i know like are do they even eat tacos in mexico i don't know anymore. <laughs> you know i'm thinking about it there's a lot more fish in mexico i'll tell you that yeah yeah what do you, what do you mean like fish tacos no i mean like they'll give you a whole fish and you're gonna eat it Oh, okay. Just and stuff like bubble tea. That like I don't is like is that did we just invent that here or is that really from like Japan or wherever it claims to be from? I have no no idea. idea. And then follow up (laughs) question. Uh If it is from here, did they start selling bubble tea to attract more tourists? Right. 
that's kind of this like funny thing of like what is culture now in like this very globalized world where you can like hop on a plane and be anywhere in like a 48 hour period and also in a capitalistic world where like you do things because specific people buy them and like since we require money to survive that's kind of like what you do you know like it's not necessarily what is the best looking or the best tasting or like the most kind of like authentic because like i feel like that was even brought up in the documentary like the the mom of the guy who founded pf chang's had a very kind of more quote-unquote authentic kind of like upper class food culture or Chinese food culture style restaurant. And like, she struggled for a really, really long time because like it didn't really translate into what I guess the, the Americans thought Chinese food was right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, cause like he said, her vision was to bring Chinese fine dining to America, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which is like, I mean, that's interesting obviously and like i'm glad that people are doing things like that but it's also like well what is fine dining Mm -hmm. like fine dining is just this thing that cultures have kind of decided is fancy and worth spending a lot of money on and it's very (laughs) difficult right to convince a completely different culture that like that's valid because fine dining here is much more influenced for example right by french cooking Mm -hmm. um And there are just these customs of like presentation and, you know, courses being served in a specific way and like all this stuff that goes into that. And this is not to say that like one is like more valid or like correct and like you're wrong for like trying to bring a different culture's concept of fine dining here. This is mostly to say like what Rebecca is saying is that for better or for worse, culture is defined by capitalism now right we do what we need to do to make money because that Mm -hmm. equates to survival and interestingly right right, there's obviously a criticism of that that like well you know that's just kind of selling out right you're just making money because like you want to buy things which is like i mean true and like a very reductive sense but also like where did culture come from if not to survive right if these techniques are obviously removed from like medieval farming practices or wherever a lot of this stuff would have originated. But the idea was to survive, right? We were making food with, you know, different parts of the animal. So nothing goes to waste. And then, you know, that's how we get things, you know, like various preserves and like gelatins and all these like pickled vegetables and meats and stuff is the idea was to survive. The idea was to not fucking starve until next spring when you could start growing your food again. And a lot of these like cultural practices came from that. And so I think it's like, yes, there is a criticism to be had about like, oh, well, you know, uh, culture is just kind of dominated by capitalism because of course it is. But on the other hand, culture is about survival and we live in a society. Uh, We live in a capitalist (laughs) culture, right? That requires money to survive. And so, I think it's a little disappointing. There's a lot of things that have been lost due to capitalism's uh, conflict with culture. 
But on the other hand, right, culture is all about adapting to survive different environments. And like this is a monetary and a financial environment, but it's an environment nonetheless. And so adaptation to survive, I think, is still a really important part of that story. And I think, you know, there are benefits where we get like this like delicious thing called General So's chicken that we all get to like enjoy. And like, yeah, we can be like, oh, scoff. It came about because of capitalism and racism. But like, you know, (laughs) we should also be able to get to enjoy that it is tasty and that is a testament to resiliency and and like survival and kind of really like other good values, you know, that like don't need to be diminished because capitalism. And I can't believe I just said that, but, you know, (laughs) yeah. Yeah, because like culture also has various uh, degrees that are just done for fun, like art and like tasty food, which are are not created for survival, but just because, you know, people who had the resources to do it could make sculptures of people with their dicks out or whatever. <laughs> right, right. Which wasn't really done for survival, I don't think, Cam, but it yeah, is true, like... true, true. <laughs> just another, you know, just another facet of of the concept of culture that I think it also sort of lines up with people making food and experimenting with food and finding different ways to like in the case of this documentary, I guess, make the food more marketable to the American people. Yeah. Um, and yeah, like, yeah, I guess I should, like, I should clarify cool, authentic food. I think it comes to the heart of, well, we had more food than what we really needed. And now we're going to make some quirky di- dishes because why not? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Definitely. I just want to clarify real quick when I was saying like culture is about survival. Uh, Yeah, that that was obviously like art in a lot of cases is not necessarily about survival. Uh, That that was in reference a little bit more to uh, the immigrant experience now and sort of like Mm -hmm. parallels to, uh, you know, cultural practices that find their origins in like literal not starving. Uh, But yeah. Yeah, it, yeah, but there's like blends of art and survival, like walls, right? like people made walls in all sorts of different ways that's for true. survival. And that's like art as an like architecturally, it's art, if that's how you want to look at it. Yeah, so absolutely. And like lots of things, you know, weren't necessarily like, yeah, walls were created for, you know, structure and shelter. And then there's also like on top of that, you have like it's still just like an expression of of creating and does it necessarily have to be anything more than like, oh, it looks nice and we're proud of that and it's pleasing. Yeah. And we get to enjoy pleasure. We do. That sounded really deadpan. I don't know why. We should enjoy <laughs> pleasure. Yay. That's right. It feels good. Yeah. And I think uh, we should get to enjoy pleasure is a great note to end it on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, remember to remember to enjoy pleasure out there, folks. Yeah. Masturbate. Uh, it's great. <laughs> that's right. That's what that's the thesis of this episode of Motion Picture Pals is masturbate. Glad that uh, we got that, to that conclusion from chicken. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, it's uh, we contain multitudes and this. This is a podcast that you never really know where we're going to end up. Uh, got to keep our listeners on their toes. Exactly. <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, all right. Well, thank you all for listening to this episode of motion picture pals you if you like this episode 
can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps us a lot. If we like your review, we will read it on the show. Uh, you can read our tweets. We are at Hit Point Pals on Twitter. I am at Call Cameron. Rebecca, where are you on social media? You can find me on Twitter at R underscore Markley. Hoel. You can find me on Twitter at Your Denny's Model. And Travis. On Twitter at Adobo Time. That's right. So thank you again for listening and join us next time for... We're watching Itumama Tambien, directed by Alfonso Cauron. I might have said that wrong, but it stars Maribel. Oh, I'm glad you don't know either. <laughs> it stars I've never known. Maribel Verdu and Diego Luna. Uh, it's about two 17-year-old boys, and they are filled with hormones, and they go through a road trip <laughs> over summer. And I hear it's very good. I haven't seen it personally, but I look forward to it. Uh, feel free to watch Itumama Tambien and join in the discussion. You can join our Discord. You can send any of us a DM on social media and we will get you a link. You can just talk to us directly on Twitter. And feel free to please leave us a message on our website and leave your name and we can reach out to you and we can talk all about movies. But that is going to do it. Thanks again for listening. Okay, question. Mm-hmm. Where on earth can I get soup dumplings in the Tri Cities? I don't know. Soup dumplings? Soup dumplings. Because I've always dumplings. wanted some, but what I've never that? been able to find any. Is I'm not even sure what they are. Soup inside? You can make them. They're not that hard to make. I've never done them, though, because I always just go buy. Like, no. where would I buy them? <laughs> Like it's just something that's always eluded me and it's something that just looks so tasty that I'll never know how it tastes like. Yeah. What are you looking for? Trying to find soup dumplings in the Tri-Cities. Mm. There, do you want probably like, some. the ingredients to make Somewhere. them or do you want them like, prepared at a restaurant? I'll anything at this point. Because you can just go on like a delivery app and type in like a menu XLB item and it'll come up with all it of just the wants me to do restaurants that have that. I'm looking to do this Portland. Up. Portland. Yeah. Um, um, yeah, I'm sure you could probably ask, like, just ask your friends. I'm sure somebody out there has knows of a good dim sum place in the Tri-Cities. Unfortunately, oh, is that what soup dumplings are? I think most of my friends are white. White people like here. dim sum, too. White people do like dim sum. I actually got into like a bit of a... I didn't really get into a bit of a spat, but it made me uncomfortable. It's... There was a person at my co-working space who was talking about how she missed New York City so much because New York had the best dim sum ever. <laughs> and I was just hmm. like... I don't know. It just like rubbed me the wrong way. That like you, this like very wealthy, like upper middle class white woman who used to live in New York and claimed a bi-coastal identity is telling me <laughs> yeah. about this, like, a fucking, I don't know, how, Chinese like, New York food, is, yeah. like, the, the capital of dim sum. Like, I, I don't know. Don't believe it for a second. Do not believe yeah, it for a no, second. Uh, Having, like, eaten delicious, like, full dim sum dinners in Singapore. I don't know. Yeah. Pretty sure it's like way better. Yeah. Well, you can fine. get like ingredients that are like, you know, easy to access and like are fresh and I don't know. Yeah.
Whatever. That's not authentic dim sum. No. I mean, I didn't think it was authentic dim sum. I'm just talking about how no, I don't I think it's fair to say that like dim sum or that New mean. York is the capital of the and world. And I think for also dim sum. it's important to point out that uh, New Yorkers are fucking annoying. <laughs> just like in general. Uh, and they're like annoying about being from New York. So, you know, if you're from New York, fuck you. All right. Uh, hey, maybe be a little nicer. Yeah, Cam, you're gonna hate me in like ten years. God damn it! Oh well. Yeah. <laughs> I, well I think just in general, been... my worldview is gonna get like more insular and more aggressive to where like I'm the only person in the world who's valid. Please don't. I imagine uh, you walking around like clenched fists, kinds hands, like arms kind of at your side, just walking around. <laughs> the Arthur <gasps> meme. The Arthur meme. Yeah, constantly. Yeah. Both hands. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh. Yeah, I don't know. the I, whole I like my up. city has like the best insert whatever is just like an incessantly annoying thing that people do. What I feel like Portland does that a lot. Yeah, it does. Like the best beer, which is like one, it's not 1989. So yeah, stop. Uh, two, <laughs> no one cares. Like you, you live here. Yeah. So you don't need to like we all live here. Actually, you don't need to like defend living here to me. Uh. I think, yeah, it's it's mostly annoying when people talk about like somewhere they came from in that way, in a way that's like meant to sort of like put down where they are now, because it's kind of like mm-hmm. you could leave like you can just go back if mm-hmm. it's like it's so much better, you know. Oh, I found the picture. Give me a second. You found the picture. The picture, I had a picture of what? in mind. Oh, here. I'll be right back. That's cryptic. <laughs> yeah, that is Cam. That's me right Cam. now. <laughs> I just I just imagine that's you walking anywhere. <laughs> Oops, gotta edit that. Yeah. Additionally, it's also really nice getting to hear just like the perspective of race and identity from people who are mixed because a lot of my friends are full something and it's the most irritating oh, thing God, in the world. Oh god, it's so irritating. Yeah. It's oh, yeah. so infuriating. And like they're tr- and like they don't they don't mean it to be like mean, but they just like fucking forget. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean it's in a lot of ways it's kind of like a defense mechanism of like there is this obviously like white supremacy exists and so like it's a very natural thing to kind of like defend your culture in a way that is like culturally supremacist in the face mm-hmm. of white supremacy. I mean, in a way, like I did that earlier. I just encounter supremacy. Yeah, like like earlier in the pod, when I was just like, yeah, American culture sucks. Like you wouldn't like Chinese food so much if it was so great. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's also easy to kind of like fall into a way that is like a little bit less jokey and a little bit more hurtful, especially towards people who are like not perceived as authentic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And kind of like what I was saying about having to like assert an identity because you're not necessarily always seen that. Like, I think that is like a uniquely mixed kind of experience. Um, and I, and it does get a lot of like, weird vibes from from people because you know you have people like 
um, Elizabeth Warren, who's like, oh, yeah, I'm a fucking native. <laughs> oh and and no, you're not. And so no. or like Rachel Dole is all right. And, you know, like, yeah, there are some like very, very bad examples of people asserting a race. Yeah. And like, it's really interesting just because I know personally I've struggled with a lot with saying like, yeah, no, I'm Latino or Latinx, however we refer to it these days. And that's coming from me being like full Latino, just Mm -hmm. like the moment you get put somewhere that I like, this is from personal experience. Like if there's somebody who claims to be more of your culture than you are, it's so like invalidating to like yourself. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I feel like I know I, I mentioned this a little bit about how I was like kind of disappointed at like my mom for not really kind of like embracing this sort of, I guess, Asian American identity. She was like, no, you guys are American. You are always American. That's it. You know? And I think that was very much her having to, you know, like that came from her, you know, like literally giving up her her Chinese citizenship to be- become an American and, and like having to assert like, no, I am an American. I pay income tax. Right. Like I am, <laughs> I am real and I am valid and mm-hmm. I have a social security number and I did it the right way. You know, she's also been very like has a lot of really bad opinions about um, about. Um, I guess undocumented, undocumented immigrant because mm-hmm. like immigrants, but, but I think it comes from like this background of her just like, I don't know, having to really sort of like fight for her identity as an American. And, you know, that is problematic in and of itself too. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, no, like, like I, I do I, wish I she had, you know, let us kind of like, I wish she, you know, taught us the language a little bit more than just like how to say hello and count to 10. Um, you know, mm-hmm. this makes whatever. me think a Oops. lot about how, just how it's going to be. Should I have kids one day? Because I know <laughs> yeah. that with my Spanish, I don't know if I could teach a kid correctly. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but along with that, just the, like, I, I agree. The immigration system is just fucked up in all the ways. I don't think it's really fair for anyone, whether you do it correctly or not. Um, somebody else somebody's always getting fucked over yeah and it's 99.9 percent of the time the person who's trying to get into the state yeah. um yeah 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 immigration sucks and i am very for all open borders <laughs> yep <laughs> borders are not real borders aren't real that's right Borders are a social construct, and mm, I'm, I'm so angry. As I've done so is, many papers about this. Yeah, as is race. As is race. Uh, as okay. is race. Like also, it's the, those weird things like where we bastardized Spanish or whatever. It doesn't yeah. matter. Just, Just let like, it evolve. Yeah, let it evolve. Also let true. it be its thing. Yeah, I don't like, know. And they could also just like take Spanish in school and then learn the grammar. Mm. I feel like I know several people who are like, yeah, I grew up speaking. Spanish at home and I have literally no idea how to read it and I have literally no idea like how the grammar rules work I just <laughs> know how to speak it and so I just think that's kind of funny yeah. um, anyway, anyway. Okay. race is not yeah. real I mean Demolish but it's borders. also you can't just say that race is not real otherwise also you're gonna true. have those Rachel Dolezals being like oh I uh. like box braids and I want to be tan so mm. i'm gonna say i'm black i might like, be wrong about this too. but i hear that rachel dolezal is like she, I, I hear she's doing things 
correctly with all the quotation marks these days. No, she like well, changed her name. She changed her name to like a, like an African name. Oh no! What? And yeah, I don't know. I I don't. Oh, at least, I at see least it this now. is what I like heard of like when I like Googled her like a couple of years ago. Like this is pretty like, current. I I from what I've heard recently. Oh wow! Oh, this is wild. Okay. You, um, she just like double tripled down. Yeah, on all of yeah. She changed her name to Nkechi Amare Diallo, mm-hmm. which is really something. Mm-hmm. There's a Netflix documentary if you really want to know. Yeah, I don't. I was living know. in Rachel Divide. I, I was living in Spokane when this all went down too, which was very wow. funny. Yeah, me too. I, um, oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, we were both in college right in that age. <laughs> I actually. I went to that college. Yeah. Had I was in a I, I was in a like a, a social work class. It was specifically about like sexuality and the my professor had actually done work with Rachel Dolezal mm-hmm. as like a social worker in like Spokane. Yeah, and what was her his opinion being on like her? the the NWA NAACP. She starts wrestling. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy! Oh gosh! Uh, boy, oh boy! Oh, no. Good job, Rebecca. Real, real smart. I think I like that we we gravitated to different versions of NWA as well. Like Howell said, he starts wrestling. Yeah. Also, yeah, I was, I was thinking like Ice Cube and Easy. Yeah. Also that, yeah. <laughs> oh boy. Um, but yeah, yeah so that was a, that was a weird trip to just have my professor be like, "Oh shit, that was weird. I didn't even know." Yeah, like I I really want to know like what people's opinion are of her who've personally worked with her because like that's just such a strange case, and I really want to know if she's a good person or not. Um, she's I, not a good person, but oh, yeah, I heard she's never like, mind. Pretty nice and like a capable like social worker too. Mm-hmm from people i can't remember who exactly i knew but it was like you know in spokane in like kind of academic circles it was pretty easy to like you know a friend of a friend would have like worked with her or knew her and like pretty much everybody said that like had she not just like pretended to be black she could have just been like a pretty like effective and like well-known and respected activist Mm -hmm. uh that like by all accounts she's like pretty smart and like good at her job so okay. yeah yeah and it just I sort definitely of don't like, agree with her just saying that she's black all of a sudden but yeah yeah and like I, she came to that i think just like i i don't know i feel like i maybe saw clips of the documentary or like some shit or like some essays that she wrote where she was just like no like i learned that race was a social construct and so like i took that quite literally and like <clears throat> you know like i didn't think it came from mm-hmm. anywhere else other than like her like really i guess enjoying black american culture i guess i don't know i guess i don't really want to speak for her here but that's just kind of my understanding mm-hmm. i mean it makes sense um it's just a really it's it's just a strange topic to talk about and it's not a strange topic but like it's a very it's a topic you got to be careful about how you talk about it because you could say something that you don't that doesn't get interpreted the way that you're trying to portray it, I guess. Like, yeah. definitely. Yeah. 